0: Here we go. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 7, it says this. Now it happened when Sambalit, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites. Y'all don't understand how I just walk through those names as if I've done this before. Y'all like Ashdodites. Heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. That they became very angry. Small rabbit trail. Israel's rebuilding the walls that are torn down. As they begin to make progress, the enemy gets angry. Hear me. Not everybody's excited about progress. Come on, Baltimore County. Not everybody celebrates when your life moves forward. Not everybody celebrates when your business expands. Not everybody's going to be happy for you when you get married. So that the enemy, as, as soon as he saw progress, he got angry. And they began to conspire together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Skip to verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at the construction while the other half held the spears, the shield, the bows, wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Here's the message, verse 17. Those who built on the wall. Somebody say, I'm building something. Come on, say it prophetically. Somebody say, "I'm building something." Come on, Columbia. Come on, Baltimore. Say, 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 say it with your chest. Say, "I'm building something." I'm not, I'm not just twiddling my thumbs. I'm not just clocking days. I'm not just waking up and going to sleep. I am building something. I'm building my faith. I'm building my family. I'm building wealth. I'm building a legacy for my children's children's children. How many people you're building something? Says those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens, loaded themselves. So that with one hand, they worked at construction, and with the other hand, they held a weapon. One hand, they worked on the construction, and the other hand, they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. The one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. I want to preach a message to you today called both hands, if you're serious. Both hands, but only if you're serious. Hey, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. You are in this room. What room? Any room where your people are gathered. And God, you showed up for one purpose. God, to speak, God, to heal, to perform sign wonders and miracles, to confirm your word, to take us one step closer to the plan, the destiny, the purpose that you have for us. God, have your way in this moment. God, let it never leave us the same. Match the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. We are uh, concluding a series today called Blueprint. Somebody say Blueprint. The whole idea behind this series is what are we building here at Union Church. If you're new to Union Church, we're grateful for you. You may be new. Uh, We are new as well, (laughs) because Union Church has been around for about 10 weeks. Prior to Easter, there was Destiny Church and I-5 City Church, and through the sovereignty of God, God has brought those two churches together and is building something beyond anything that we could have imagined. But because of that transition, so many of us are like, oh, my goodness, what in the world is this? What does the future look like? So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what are we building? What is this going to look like? As I commit to Union Church being my home, what can I expect out of this church? And I don't know if you've noticed this, but I haven't just given you what you can expect out of the church, but I'm also given you what the church can expect out of you. Don't get it twisted. This ain't Target. You don't just walk in, grab what you want, put it in your basket, and head on out. We're building this together. Somebody say amen. We're building this together. Come on, Columbia. Come on, Baltimore. Let's just pause right there and understand what this is. We're in this together. We're building here. We're building here. We're, we're building a church that is going to transform a region. Somebody say amen. We're building lives that God is going to be pleased with and that is going to bring glory unto God. We are building in this region. About two weeks ago, I had a dinner uh, with a missionary in Rwanda, or, or some people call it Rwanda. And uh, it was one of those encounters That just shifted my life. I don't know if you ever had an opportunity to be around a missionary or people that are building the kingdom of God on the front lines, but I'll tell you this, it shifts you, it shakes you. There's something about being in a position in the world and in life where everything is kind of at your disposal, it's easy, and there's not drama around you, where sometimes you can find yourself just coasting, but when you get around people that they have to believe God for every single meal, that every step they take, they have to believe God for miracles, there's a... faith that they walk in, that wrecks you. And as this missionary was, was speaking, by the way, if you ever get an opportunity to hang around missionaries or, or to have a dinner with a missionary, let me give you st- tip number one. Uh, be quiet. You ain't got nothing to say. <laughs> let me tell you. No, no, no. Shh. It's <laughs> just let that man or woman of God speak and you pull out your phone and you take notes. So he, he, he's sharing his story. They, they went from, from, from sponsoring and providing care for 29 children 18 years ago to now over 12,000 kids that they're adopting and walking from young age, finding them in the streets and the gutters and walking them on to associate's degrees and master's degrees and, and are helping them build their lives. If you're not familiar with the story of Rwanda back in 1994, over a period of days Many people believe over a million people were slaughtered in a genocide. And for 20-something years, they've been rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding. And it's amazing what the enemy meant for evil. God always turns around for good. Because of that, Rwanda made a decision. We're not building what we lost. We're building something new. So now it's one of the most technologically advanced countries in the entire continent of Africa, one of the politically healthiest places, the least amount of corruption almost in the entire continent. And as this missionary is talking, he he began to tell a story uh, from his childhood, and about 30 seconds into the story, I looked at him, and I said, I'm preaching that two weeks from now. I just want you to know I'm not stealing your revelation. I am borrowing it because I'm telling you. It's only stealing if I didn't tell you, so I'm telling you, my church is going to hear that in two weeks. And he laughed, and I wasn't laughing. So here it goes. During the genocide, him and his family that are originally from Rwanda, they fled and they went to Uganda. And his father was able to start a coffee farm where they actually harvested coffee. And he said as a boy, he would go out into the fields and he would help his dad uh, uh, harvest the coffee beans. Now, I don't really like coffee. I only drink it because I have kids. But as soon as they're old enough to drive themselves somewhere, I'm done with it. I think it's nasty. I know nothing about coffee. But apparently, they don't have just like the coffee beans on a bush or a tree. They look like these little red grapes when they're ripe. I guess the bean is inside the grape. Don't ask me. That's about as far as I went prepping for this message. But anyway, so they'd go out, and and as soon as those coffee beans, they turned into that reddish grape-looking deal. They were ripe, and they were ready for harvesting. He said one day he's out there, and he's harvesting coffee with his father, and and he has the basket in one hand, and 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 he's harvesting the, the coffee beans or whatever you want to call them in the other hand. And his father looks at him and says, only lazy people harvest with one hand. I said, say, what now? He said, my dad said only lazy people harvest with one hand. And he said, here's why. Because until that coffee is ripe, you can't pull it off the tree. If you pull it off of the tree or bush or whatever it may be, before it's ripe, it will not taste the way it's supposed to taste. However, once it's ripe, in a few moments, it will fall off of the tree because it's overripe. And if it falls to the ground, it begins to rot and it's useless. You have a small window to be able to grab that harvest. So his dad said, here's what hardworking people do. They take a basket and they put it on the ground and they begin to harvest with both hands. He said, only people who are serious are going to harvest with both hands you're out there kind of just trying to make a paycheck, you're not really paying attention or whatever it may be, he said, you'll kind of just, oh, I got easy like Sunday morning. Ooh, I got all the time in the world. He said, but if you're serious, you're using both hands. He said, Stephen, here's the problem. He said, we have a bunch of one-handed churches that don't understand that there's a time frame on the harvest that God has for them. And because they don't understand that there's a time frame on the harvest that God has for them, they're out there kind of just picking with one hand. And he said, the church that God's called us to build, and I'm writing up, the church that God's called union to be, is a two-handed church. Not a church that's, oh! Can I preach it for a second? I'm picking my preferences. I'm picking what makes me comfortable. I'm picking what I prefer, but I'm willing and I desire to use both hands. Normally, as a pastor, when you're preaching, uh, you're supposed to preach to everybody in the room. You're supposed to understand that there's unbelievers in the room, there's new Christians in the room, there's mature believers, there's different people in different seasons, and it's important that the message kind of speaks to everybody, and that's how you're supposed to preach. That's not how I'm going to preach today. Today, I'm only preaching to those who, who are serious. To only all I'm preaching today are those of you that actually intend on building something in your life that, that is glorifying to God, that you're not interested in kind of just sitting back and twiddling your thumbs, but you actually say, hey, I I I'm going somewhere, I'm doing something, and I desire to have the most that God desires. Now, if you're not serious, you're still welcome here. You can put your phone, you can scroll on Instagram, take a nap, whatever it may be, and we'll be back in about three hours. Don't take a... us. <laughs> four people just ran for the door. Stay with me Baltimore. <laughs> three quick thoughts, three quick thoughts. Write this down. Everything worth building takes two hands. Everything that is worth building Columbia takes two hands in our passage in Nehemiah chapter 4 as we're picking up from the last message. Nehemiah, he examined the wall and he discovered that it was destroyed, that it was burnt to the ground. And he said, this can't be this way. We have to rebuild this wall. I don't know if you remember from the message two weeks ago, but we talked about how Nehemiah saw destruction differently because he hung out with kings. When you hang out with kings, you don't look at problems as problems. You look at problems as potential for the progress that God desires to do in your life. We need to begin to hang around the King of kings and the Lord of lords so that we can begin to look at the destroyed things in our marriage, in our finances, in our city, and not see, hey, that's only going to last for so much longer, but we see it as what God (laughs) desires for it to be. After examining the wall, Nehemiah went to everybody and said, hey, this can't stand. This is a reproach. This is an embarrassment. We've got to build this up. And it says everybody began to build. And here's the interesting thing. It says every different family, Columbia, took a different group, I mean, gate. Sorry, I mix my words up sometimes. No, I don't. It says every single family took a different gate on the wall to build. Some built the fish gate, and some built the sheep gate, and and some built gate. Hear me. There is a part of this gate that God's called your family to build. There is a part of the wall of Union Church that God has called you to build. He has ordained and anointed your family to build that area. And watch this. If you don't build, there's going to be gaps in the wall says, every single family began to build their area of the wall, and when the enemy heard that they were making progress, they became angry and decided to attack Israel. Let me take a quick little rabbit trail. We need to stop looking at warfare as a negative thing. We need to stop looking at problems in our lives as if God's abandoned us, God's forgotten us, God, how could you? If we could only understand the enemy only attacks what he's afraid of. The enemy only attacks what's making progress. The enemy only attacks what's getting built up. If we were people of faith, we would be nervous if there was no drama. If you really want to get fearful, get fearful when the enemy's not attacking you. Because you're going to, I must not be doing anything. I must not be building anything. I must not be making progress. Because he only attacks what's making progress. Millions of Hebrew boys were born. And he said, whatever. Moses was born. He said, we got to wipe them all out because there's someone that's going to bring progress. Million of Jewish boys were born. The enemy said, whatever. When Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary, Herod said, we got to wipe. He only attacks when progress is on the horizon. But watch this. Nehemiah said, because we prayed, God revealed the enemy's attack to us. You got to understand, Zimbalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, they didn't actually show themselves They were planning on ambushing Israel. They were only in a back room discussing their plans, but because Nehemiah and the people were in prayer and were seeking God, God revealed to them what the enemy was planning in a back room, and he made it visible for them to prepare for what was coming. Here's what it tells me. When I neglect my prayer life, I set myself up for an ambush. Because there's certain things that God will show me beforehand are coming my way, but only when I take time to meet with Him. And some of us are in storms, we're in battles, and we're blaming God. And we're saying, God, where are you? And God said, I'm in your prayer closet. Where are you? Because I'm waiting on you. I'm sorry, y'all, this started a little intense. Let me me, hi, my name is Stephen. I'm your friend. Oh, and we're going to build something Baltimore. Come on now. So it says, as they saw the enemy attack, Nehemiah said, we've got to change our game plan. No longer can we only be focused on construction. But we need a tool in one hand and a sword in the other hand. If we're actually going to build what God's called us to build without the enemy tearing it down, both of our hands have to be filled. If you're going to build the marriage that God's called you to have without the enemy tearing it down, both hands are going to have to be filled. If you're going to build the wealth that God's called you to build, that you're leaving an inheritance to your grandchildren, both hands are going to have to be filled. If we're going to build the church that God's called us to build, both hands have to be filled. The only problem is most people only build with one hand. I was thinking, I I was bored and figured this message would take too long, so I decided to play Jenga in the middle of the message. That's a joke. But if you've ever seen this game, and I'm not going to build it the way that it's supposed to be built, but it's kind of these blocks, and you kind of put them together, and you got to pull a block away and see if the whole thing comes tumbling down. Now, as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking about how inconvenient it would be to try to build this thing with just using one hand. You got to come all the way over here. You can't reach. You got to come and stretch. And what I find is this is kind of what people's life looks like. You're building kind of one sided. You're building with one hand. And in the beginning, it kind of all looks good. But then you get tired. So you start getting lazy. And you start only building one side of the wall. You start only building the part that's convenient, the part that you're kind of wired for. Before you know it, it, starts getting lopsided, and it crumbles. But, you know, life is full of setbacks, and, you know, sometimes that just happens, and they taught me in church to believe and to live by faith and not be worried when the enemy comes, and it tumbles again, and I'm not a quitter, and perseverance is of God, and and what I find myself is I'm working over and over and over again, and I'm rebuilding the same area over and over again. And can I tell you when people get tired of church? when it's i'm doing what the pastor is telling me to do and i'm i'm tithing but my finances keep falling over and i'm i'm forgiving those who are hurting me but yet they keep hurting me over and over and over again and people start getting cynical because i'm not lazy i'm working what do you do when you're working and it's not working it's one thing if i'm just sitting back and doing nothing it's a completely different story where I'm praying and I'm fasting and it's still falling. The problem is I'm building lopsided because I'm only building with one hand. Here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. He said, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures. Somebody say one hand. Or the power of God. Somebody say the other hand. This is politically incorrect, Baltimore County, but I'm going to say it anyway. We have a bunch of finding Nemo Christians. No, that I only got one fin. Oh, I got a prayer life. I tell you, I pray, I pray, I, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. Oh. Nothing wrong with prayer. But at some point, you got to come out that closet. Take your little prayer shawl off and go do something. Some of us, we're the more wisdom based people, and we're line upon line, precept upon precept. All I want to know, Pastor, are you going to preach the word? Are you going to preach the word? I, I just want the word of God. I need the word. Great. The word is powerful. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that it's the Holy Spirit that reveals the word to us. And the word without the power of God is not effective. If we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, we're going to have to be a two-handed church. Here's what the pastor from Rwanda said. He said, here's the responsibility of the church. To feed people's soul and their bodies. Ministry and compassion. Not just teaching people how to be godly so they can get ready for heaven, but teaching people how to be whole so they can bring heaven to earth. And for so many of us, we kind of gravitate to one area, one side, without even realizing it. We're building one-handed lives. And it's falling over and over and over and over again. The second thing I want you to write down is this. Everyone has a dominant hand. Like it's all well and good to say, hey, I need to build a two-handed marriage, two-handed finances, two-handed ministry, and all that other kind of stuff. But we all have a propensity to lean a certain way. My, my son, Roman, he's three years old. About 18 months ago, I was teaching him how, how to feed himself. And, and I sat down on his right side because I'm right-handed. And I'd grab the spoon, and I'd scoop food into the spoon. And it wasn't like nasty vegetables that his mom fed him. That ain't my life. That ain't my job. I was giving him mangoes and peaches and just everything with all the sugar in it. Judge me. So I'd scoop it in the spoon, and I'd put it in his right hand. Now, I'm anointed. I'm gifted. I'm just not that bright. So it took me about three months to figure out, every time I would put that spoon in his right hand, he would take it with his right hand and he would switch it to his left. Like, I'm set up on his right side because I'm right-handed. I'm teaching him how to be right-handed. But God never made him right-handed. God made him left-handed. And based on the way that I am dominant in life, I expected my son to be dominant in the exact same way. And watch this. I wanted to lead him outside of the will of God for him. Just because of my preference. If only we could understand what's God's will for me, is not necessarily God's will for somebody else. God's will for me is based on the way that he made me, based on the way that I'm right-handed, and it would be an abomination to God for a right-handed person to be living with their left hand. You've got to understand that you have a dominant hand. Now hear me, having a dominant hand is not negative, it's actually of God. He's given you areas of dominance because that's what he's called you to build in your life. So many of us, we find ourselves where we're jealous of other people's giftings. Oh, I wish I was an extrovert like them. Oh, I wish I was a creative like them. Oh, I wish I could communicate like them. Oh, I wish this. Oh, I wish that. Not understanding, God gave you a toolbox for what you're called to build. And instead of examining everybody else's toolbox, get to know yours. So I have a question for you. Where is your dominant hand in every single area of your life? Because every area of your life has two arms. In your spiritual life, where is your dominant hand? Are you a Word person? You're one of those people that when you open your Bible, it's like Spongebob, three hours later. You, I mean, you have a whole journal of just revelation that God unpacks to you from the Word. So we are like, Pastor, no, that's not me. Now, don't judge me, because I have a Bible reading plan. I'm reading my one-year Bible. You are. It's just year five of that one-year Bible. <laughs> and you still in Nehemiah. Listen, we got some. Let's pick it up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Are you a prayer person? Are you a person that you gravitate towards signs, wonders, and miracles? There's an area of dominance that God has given you in your faith, and it is the key that unlocks your future. For me, one thing I discovered, one of my spiritual gifts is the gift of faith. Like God has gifted me with the ability to believe for impossible things. And it's not until I realized that other people didn't have the same gift that I realized that it was a gift from God. I walk into situations that are impossible. Like, oh, that's easy. going to do this, do this, and let's go for it. And they're like, no, no, no. And I'm like, what's the problem? It's not going to work. And I realized it because they were not dominant in the area that God's called me to be dominant in. If you don't know your dominant arm in every area of your life, you're going to get yourself all crossed up. What's your dominant arm when it comes to finances? Are you the saver? Or are you the spender? Are you the one that naturally builds wealth? Or are you the one that naturally stewards it? Chances are. Even if you can do both, there's a where that you lean into. You know, in 2020, 2019, 2021, it's all about entrepreneurship. I ain't working for nobody. I'm, I'm going to be my own boss, be my own CEO. I, I got my own business. Yeah, but you ain't making no money. <laughs> can I just tell you something that somebody else may not tell you? God ain't called everybody to be an entrepreneur. Some of y'all, you're going to make your most wealth stewarding the wealth of entrepreneurs. They need you to help them keep what they can get. What's your dominance in your family? Some of you in your family structure, you're the person that brings relationship and joy and grace and everybody likes to be around you and laugh and enjoy life. You're the first one to throw a cookout and the last one to leave. Some of you in your family, you're the structure person. You bring the timeliness. You bring the strategy. You bring the plan. You bring, hey, we're going to get to church on time today. By the way, let that person drive on Sundays. You do whatever you want on Tuesday, but on Sunday, let that person. Where are you dominant? Because watch this. If you don't know where you're dominant, you're not going to know what part of this church God's called you to build. If you don't know where you're dominant, you're not going to know what part of your relationships God's called you to build. But here's the deal. We get so dogmatic in our areas of dominance that we have no grace or tolerance for anybody else. And if you don't live life the way that I like, if you don't lean into what I lean into, if you don't accentuate what I accentuate, then I've got no time for you. Here's what the Bible said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor can the kids team say to the parking team. Oh, sorry. It's, come on, production. What's with the typos? <laughs> Says, nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need for you. Here's what God does in I ain't going to talk about the church. Can I talk about marriage for a second? Yeah. Can, I, can I talk to some single folks? That you you still waiting. You ain't waiting on Boaz because we don't do that cougar stuff. But anyway, I'm waiting for my Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And all you worried about is, are they fine? Uh-huh. Do I feel Jesus when they walk by? Oh, I'm a... That's important. All, all it matters is they love Jesus. No, that's not true. When you wake up in the morning, you ain't rolling over looking at Jesus. You're looking at their mug. So you better make sure you like what can all the married folks say. Pray for me, Baltimore. I need help. So they got to be fine. They got to be godly. But can I give you number three? Do their areas of dominance complement me or compete with me? So often we look for people who think like us, who talk like us, who live like us. But if there's two people in one marriage and both of you guys do the same things, one of you are replaceable. Not biblically, but you know what I mean. In your circle of friends, is everybody a clone of you? The people that you do life with, everybody does it the exact same way. Because what you may not realize is because of my dominance, I'm deficient. In an area, this this isn't biblical, but um, y'all remember Greek mythology? Remember them three sisters that shared an eyeball and they shared a tooth? It says they were Greek. I think they're from West Virginia, but that's a different story for a different day. (laughs) I'm going to a fiery place. Pray for me, y'all. I need Jesus. (laughs) But it said they all had one eye, and every time one of them went in to see, is he fine? Is he fine? Let me see that eye. Oh, he (laughs) eye. They had one to share amongst them. Could it be, not naturally, but spiritually, that your spirit man only has a right ear? And God put the left ear of your spirit man on somebody else? And unless you're in a group, unless you're in community... Unless you're around and connected to the rest of the body of Christ, you'll never hear what you're supposed to hear because God's only speaking through someone else. And as long as you think you are good by yourself, no offense, but as long as I got King Jesus, don't need nobody else, ain't true. Come on, my right-handed people. Your left hand is on your dream team. Come on now, I'm a, I'm tiptoeing, super close. Cause you know, Pastor Jimmy, you get really honest sometimes, and sometimes you get too honest. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a progress system structure guy. I, uh, I ain't that creative, y'all. I got my play, and I run my play. I know my play. Pastor Jimmy, yo, he sneezes, and creativity just comes everywhere. And I. I found my left arm. Where all of a sudden, and I'm not just saying this to honor or whatever it may be, or even because in the room, we announced Union Church and the world took notice. You're like, oh my gosh, that announcement video and this and that, and all that. Can I tell you what he won't never tell you? None of that was my idea. My idea was like, just tell him. Hey, y'all, we Union. And he goes, ah, let's, let's actually come. And some of us, because we think we're self-sufficient and we think that we're good by ourselves, we're building lopsided businesses, lopsided finances, and I dare say lopsided churches. Last thing is just write this down. Building strength, a process. I, didn't want, I don't like giving y'all super long points because you don't write them down. But here's what the point was supposed to be. <laughs> Building strength. Come on, Baltimore. In your non-dominant hand is a process. You have an area of dominance. Somebody say amen. But you also have two hands. If you didn't need two hands, God wouldn't have given you two hands. He gave you two hands because you need two hands. So even though this is an area of dominance, I can't neglect building my area of weakness. Problem is, it's uncomfortable to build the area where I'm not dominant. Judges chapter 20, verse 15, it says this, from their cities at the time The children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of Gibeah. Israel was at a civil war. The smallest tribe in all of Israel, Benjamin, was getting ready to take on all the other 11 tribes. Brothers have been fighting from the beginning of time. But the older brother wins, so calm down. Besides the inhabitants, it says this. Those who numbered seven hundred, there were seven hundred select elite warriors in the twenty-six thousand of Benjamin. Verse sixteen. Among all this, the people were seven hundred select men. Watch this. Who were? Come on, all my left-handed people wave at me. Ain't a lot of y'all. About four of y'all. So it was twenty-six thousand. I'm gonna speed up. Twenty-six thousand soldiers in Benjamin. Of the 26,700 of them, the Bible took the time. Columbia, the Bible never wastes words. If it's in there, it's for a purpose. It so says there were 700 left handed warriors. They were up against the other 11 tribes. You can take the verse down. There were 400,000 men of war from the other 11 tribes. Now, when I first read this, 26,700 left handed soldiers, who cares? 400,000, they're about to get whooped, it's over. Until I start reading on, and I read, for the next two days, those 26,000 soldiers, they handed it to Israel. I mean, overwhelming. They were outnumbered four to one, and we're still seeing great victory. Now I'm circling back saying, oh, what what, what was going on? And I key in on, hey, 700 of them were left-handed. Why in the world would the Bible highlight the fact that these soldiers were left-handed? Like, I'm sorry, who cares? I'm wondering if the writer of judges was left-handed. He's like, y'all got to know, because And <laughs> this how left-handed people write. <laughs> y'all can tell I'm right-handed. y'all got to learn how to write. Anyway, <laughs> I don't think it was that the author of judges was left-handed began to study and listen to messages and read commentaries and all. And here's what I finally landed on. One commentary said that these 700 men, they were left-handed. Come on, Baltimore. Because they were no longer right-handed. Changes the whole story. See, these 700 men, when they were born, they were born right-handed. But they got wounded in battle. And they lost access to their right hand. And instead of dropping out of the army, they made a decision, I am going to relearn how to fight with my non-dominant hand. And the Bible says that they were more effective with their left hand than most people were with their dominant hand. Here's what I've discovered. If you're not interested in winning a war, if you have no cognizance of the battle that you're in, you have no desire to go through the pain of working out areas that are not your preference. As long as you don't understand that the enemy is attacking your marriage, attacking your teenager, attacking your finances, attacking this city, you're just like, I'm just gonna go with what's comfortable, with what's natural with what works for me but i'm just wondering are there any people that you've survived some battles that the enemy has attacked your health but you've come out on the other side saying god is my healer the enemy has attacked your business and you've come out on the other side saying god is my provider the enemy has attacked your children but you realize that god is the one that is able to help a man stand And if you've ever been in a battle, you realize, I'm going to work what's uncomfortable. I'm going to work what's not my preference. I'm going to work what doesn't come naturally to me. I'm going to work even what I don't like. Because I'm not going out like that. And if it takes my non-dominant hand to win this war, well, let's go. Here's my commitment to you, the best of my ability, Union Church, we're going to be a two-handed church. We're going to be a balanced church where we're going to feed people's soul, but we're actually going to feed their belly as well. We're going to teach people the Word of God, but we're also going to teach people common sense on how to communicate and how to forgive and how to build godly marriage. We're going to teach contentment and generosity, but we're going to teach building wealth and living a legacy to our children's children. We're going to teach super... We're going to teach supernatural healing. Somebody say amen. But we're going to teach working out. We have a series called Treadmill. Because it's only with balance, the Scripture and the power of God, that we see the progress that God ordained in our lives. What's so frustrating is looking at Scripture and seeing what it promises me then looking at my life and seeing it doesn't line up. Not here. Can I tell you something, Baltimore, Columbia? That's what you can expect out of Union Church but I have an expectation of you. Can we make this not a church that's based on our preferences? Can we make a decision that I can be dominant in this area, but not everybody else has to be? I'm dominant in this area because this is the side of the wall that God has called me to be. They're not because they're called to build a different side of the wall. And we're not going to make this a place that is based on our preferences. We're going to make this a place that is based on progress and building what God has called us to build. So as long as it's biblical and as long as it's what God has called you to build, get to building. I'm going to cheer you on. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to celebrate you. That ain't my side of the wall to build. Happy birthday building I'll be over here building if you need me but I'm gonna make this a place on thy kingdom come thy will be done we rewrite the Bible talking about thy kingdom come my will be done God says it may not be comfortable but it'll be good we're not gonna make that division of Union Church but just write it down somewhere it may not be comfortable but it's going to be good. It may not always lean into my preferences, but I'm going to build something that God is pleased of. I'm going to build something that's going to shift this region. Hey, let me pray for you. Father God, we are grateful. It may sound like a weird prayer, God, but we're grateful for the discomfort. We're grateful that you don't leave us in a place where we're comfortable, but you push us out of the nest. God, you push us to the place where our feet can no longer touch the ground, and we actually have to trust you. God, I pray in this moment, God, that you would give us the perseverance, the tenacity. Not to tap out when it gets uncomfortable, but to lean into the discomfort, because we know that all things you work together for our wherever you find yourself, whether in Columbia, Baltimore, BWI, watching online, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm already seeing areas in my life that are lopsided. I need to pay a little bit of attention to those areas of non dominance I want to speak particularly to some of you, though, that your whole life is lopsided right now because you've built everything but your faith in Jesus. You're hardworking, you're disciplined. You're a great friend. You're just not a child of God. The problem is that Jesus is the foundation of everything that we build on. Matter of fact, the more successful we are without Jesus, all that means is the greater the fall is going to be. Because he is the starting point. So wherever you find yourself, you say, Pastor, that's me. I, I can't say that I'm building on Jesus. I can't say that he's a part of my life. Maybe you grew up in church, but Jesus is an afterthought. He's not the center of who you are. You can make that shift right now in this moment. You can repent. What does that mean? It just means to turn from doing things your way and to turn towards Jesus and make him the Lord of your life. That's you. Can you pray this prayer with me? Matter of fact, every single person, can we pray this together out of encouragement of those that are making the most life-defining decision ever? Say, Lord Jesus, today, right now, I turn to you. Forgive me for trying to live without you. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Today, I surrender, be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person that just made the, as a golf clap, can you act like the kingdom of God was just expanded, like people just passed from darkness into life, like someone's life was reborn in that moment?